Brill and McMillan with ESPN Las Vegas NFL insider Mark McMillan on Cofield and Company. All right, let's start off the 5 o'clock hour here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar with Chef McMillan up with Damon and Candy. What's going on, buddy? Hey, man, I'm just sitting here in the backyard, and I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the commercials. I'm like, man, I'm missing some really good events that's coming up on March 1st there in Vegas. Uh, it is one of the craziest weekends I can remember because uh, we're doing a lot of interviews. Like, we're going to talk to Travis Pastrana. Uh, you know, East or eSport, uh, exports guy, exports legend, uh, motocross, yep. uh, motorsports legend. You know who he is. Um, so we're going to talk yep. to him in the middle of the uh, the hour this hour. But there's so many other events coming up, and then March just gets jammed with baseball and college basketball. So really cool stuff coming up. So uh, as you were uh, listening, do you have a dog by your side? I saw a picture of your dog. <laughs> Akita yeah, life. He, he, loves he, he loves it out here, man. He's got a nice little yard. He's got some green grass. He's chasing birds. He's chasing neighbors walking by. So he's loving it out here in Arizona, man. I don't think he wants to come back to Vegas. I feel like, Candy, you still have a dog? I was. I hate to ask people because it would be like, oh, I perished a couple weeks ago. But uh, <laughs> your dog doing okay? Uh, my, my, my dog did not perish. Good. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's five years old and doing fine. It's a big, loud, scary dog. Very dangerous area of Henderson that uh, Candy lives in right there by the Dollar Loan Center. I'm kidding. Um, very loud. Very loud. Was that a rescue, or are you one of the high-fluting people like Mark who's dropping like ten, fifteen thousand dollars on a dog? That dog was uh, that dog was a rescue. Okay. Thank you very much. And 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 while you continue to grill me about dogs, I actually have a question okay. about grilling dogs for Mark McMillan. Oh wow! So I saw on your reply to our show tweet, Mark, some hot dogs on the grill, and my my so has been very clear with me that come this summer. She wants to see some hot dogs on that grill. And I know it seems like the easiest thing in the world, but, like, do you have tricks for grilling hot dogs? Well, first of all, it was a hot link. It wasn't yeah. a hot dog. It was a hot Apologies. Not, apologies. I don't mean, I didn't mean, don't mean to make you so basic. Grill. What are you doing? <laughs> he's, not, he's, not, he's not a basic not a basic chef, I understand. Yes. <laughs> it was a hot link that was handmade from the pork shop. Oh, here wow. in uh, Queen Creek, uh, Arizona, which has probably got some of the best bacon and pork uh, that you could probably find in the in the land. So, really good concepts that they have over there. But it was a hot link, man. So there's nothing nothing too hard about putting a hot link on the fire. But you can't get hot links mixed up with hot dogs, especially if you go to a to a to a to a, a African American barbecue because they know hot links between hot dogs. Whoa, whoa! This just took a turn. This just this just took a turn. Not invited I, all, to the cookout. I just all, all I all, all I want to do is make sure I don't screw up whatever meat casing product is put onto the grill. That's that's it. I just want to make sure I don't I don't mess it up. That's and 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 I love the fact that you're telling me it's almost impossible to mess it up. I feel like that's that's good safety. Yeah, if you if you mess that up, then I, I know Adam is, is he doesn't cook. I know Steve has come up with some tricky ways with some hot dogs. I think he made something in the toaster, I think, maybe a year or two ago. So oh. if they can do it, I know you can do it. <laughs> Damon, you want to pile on? Go ahead. <laughs> and here's the thing about hot dogs, too. It depends or you know, these hot links. Some people like them burnt. So even if the first batch is a little burnt, somebody's probably going to eat them. So you'll be good. Just go oh, a little lighter yeah, you on the second time around. Char. You got to get the char on it. You just can't get a hot link that looks all nice. and You got to get a little char on that. He's got to look like that. That hot link's got to look like me and Demond a little bit. 
<laughs> All right. Mark McMillan, Chef Mark, is with us here on Cofield and Company. Um, would you say if you prematurely split the dog and don't have the char in it, is that a fail when you're cooking a hot leak or a hot dog? That's the ultimate fail. You got to keep all right. it all intact. You got to keep it in the casing. You know, it takes time for these people to, uh, you know, put that sausage inside that casing and cutting it in half. Man, it's a tragedy. You can't do that. I get so. it. I get it. We understand. Demond just giggling in the background. Because nice. Adam set it up with, oh man, I know you can't mess it up, but Mark is giving numerous ways on how you can mess oh. this up. That's why I asked him. Oh, he's, he set me up to fail before I ever started. Before I ever even started. Oh, you. You don't, you don't dare call a Queen Creek hot link a hot dog. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, you know what? It, this reminds me, though. I love the respect for the hot dog and the hot link here. This reminds me of a former coworker who probably Candy's the only one on the show who had uh, um, what's exposure to, right? A weird word. But to uh, Seat Williams, who used to eat hot dogs at the office, but he would heat them up in a coffee cup in the microwave. Oh, and that's how we eat his hot dogs. I feel like maybe he wouldn't be invited. Shout out to Seat, buddy. Anyway, I feel like he might not be invited to the cookout with the hot dogs and the coffee cup. No, you can't eat a hot dog in the coffee cup. Then you got you got you got hot dog you got coffee residue on the hot dog. So that ain't gonna work. I ain't never heard Probably. of a coffee flavored hot dog. That is next level though. That is next level chef. A coffee flavored hot dog. Is that next yeah, is that right now? It's next level chef. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Gordon Ramsay would react real well to that one. All right. So I, I wanna hit what turned into big news this week and you know when football's kind of in between the end of the season and the combine there's lots of room to hit interesting stories did antonio pierce the raiders coach make a mistake by mentioning that the raiders have the mahomes rules i don't think so uh a lot of things have gotten a lot soft you know too soft uh you know if he can't say that and fire his guys up uh, you know back in the day they were there was you know, Buddy Ryan got, you know, we didn't get in trouble, but everybody called it the Bondi, the Bondi game, you know, against the Cowboys and the body bag game against the Houston Oilers where they were carting those guys off like, uh, man, like hot links on the grill. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, I think, you know, that's just the mentality he has. And if, you know, people get uh, scared or think he crossed the line with just words, the Chiefs are still the Super Bowl champs. So he can say whatever he wants. At the end of the day, they are still the champs. And you got to do whatever you got to do to fire up your guys, and uh, that's why a lot of coaches don't like media in the locker room because some of the stuff that they say uh, kind of fires some guys up. So, uh, you know, Ray Rose, silly man, he said a lot of things that I can't say on the on the radio, but we didn't like anybody, and we we we, we made sure we went out and uh, opposed our will on the on the opposing team. You know, Mark, playing for a guy like Buddy Ryan, an innovator and one of the foremost yeah. minds that we've ever had coaching defense in the NFL, I'm curious what you think of the idea of having rules for anybody, right? Did you guys ever approach the game as in we're going to adjust defensively to one great player or was the swag on your defense enough that it's like, no, they got to figure out how to deal with us? That, that's the way our mentality was. We wasn't going to change the way we attacked. Uh, every defense I played on, even in Kansas City under Marty Schartenheimer, uh, you know, and the late, uh, you know, Gunther Cunningham, we just played a physical brand of football. And we were going to go out there and try to smack you in your mouth, try to make you quit uh, and do what we have to do. You know, you're going against John Elway and, uh, you know, Brett Favre. There were some really good quarterbacks that we had to go against. And if you changed up your scheme and, and stopped being aggressive, then they were going to capitalize on that. So, 
no, you don't change. Um, you know, what the Raiders did to Kansas City and Kansas City, that's the way you got to go at the champ. You know, you can't sit back and let this guy just run around and, and do whatever you got to do. Uh, Kansas City and, and uh, Patrick Mahomes knows when he plays against the Raiders, uh, especially against uh, Max Crosby, he knows it's going to be physical. Mark, yesterday, Greeny on ESPN, he said that maybe Roger Goodell should talk to Antonio Pierce and say, hey, we're going to be monitoring your games against the Chiefs even more. We're throwing flags early just to let you know that we're not trying to let you hurt Patrick Mahomes. Do you think that now that this has become a story that we should look at the way the Raiders-Chiefs game is officiated next year? Um, it's rivalry, man. Raider week. Uh, it's week. Um, so I, I don't think that there should be Another team. Uh, oh, boy. Team. Let's see if we can get Mark a good connection. Maybe the Akita is oh. tackling him or something there. Oh, 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 Steve, are you saying he doesn't have a hot link? <laughs> wow. Or are you saying his link has gone cold? You're on one today. You're on right one today. I am. I, I You're right. Feeling... I, ju I just want to grill a hot dog, man. I just uh, want to grill a hot dog and do it well. I want to I be a hero in the backyard. And and I feel like I have to get that right before I get the hot link right, before I even try to get the, the steak right, before I even try to cook my 29 pounds of meat. Was that a setup, or did your significant other really tell you, you better get no, your act together and get hot dogs no, on the grill? No, I, I legitimately was told hot wow. dogs and hamburgers need to be need to be on the grill. I, I, I legitimately was told that. and. Okay. and I, I, I just loved that you walked me right down the setup by talking about uh, about my Australian Shepherd, and then I could go, you know, go down the other road. Perfect. Mark is back with us. All right, Mark, you were talking about the, uh, the ESPN personality saying that, hey, you know, Goodell could be freaking slamming down on the Raiders, and now we've got to pay attention to this next year. Oh man, bad luck with the, the phone. The Akita today. got him. It's yeah. definitely the Akita. All right, it's we definitely tried the Akita. We, uh, yeah, we tried, Damon. We tried. So give Mark a thumbs up. We appreciate him coming on. All right, Candy, where are you on this? Because uh, I think we all got a little trolled in the Las Vegas market, and I'm not a Raiders fan, but I don't like Big Brother. I don't like Raj looking over all of our shoulders, the fans and the players and the coaches. Is this something we really have to worry about? And do you agree with the ESPN show saying, uh, hey, this is the biggest star in the league. How dare you suggest that you may knock him around? The league's got to legislate that and have kind of special rules for Pat Mahomes. I would not have wanted to watch Brock Purdy against Matt Moore or Blaine Gabbert or any of the backup quarterbacks that the Kansas City Chiefs have. I remember Bernard Pollen and then him going after Tom Brady's knee. Like... We got to accept the fact that the league treats its quarterbacks differently. And with some of the quarterback play that we talked about this year, getting forced to sit through some of the worst of the worst with all of the quarterback injuries this year, if the NFL really did decide to say, hey, just we're watching, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I really wouldn't be bothered by it. Well, I wouldn't be surprised much. by it. I am bothered by it, though. Why? Why? What? Because Antonio Pierce came out and said we're going to – we're going to be physical with Patrick Mahomes? I mean, yeah, everybody well, he, wants to be physical he, with Patrick Mahomes. He shouldn't have said it. Well, here's the trade-off. If you luck into, you're really skilled at drafting quarterbacks, and I will call that move skill because they moved up. If you get a Patrick Mahomes who can be a 20-year star, 
Uh, you also have to compensate him to the tune of 50 or $60 million. If you make that choice to do that, then other parts of your team could be cheated in terms of budget. And in the case of the Chiefs this year, uh, they were not very good on the offensive line. There's a cost of doing business. If you want to build your whole team around a quarterback and you don't want to spend on the offensive line, then guess what? I'm going to spend on the defensive line and edge rushing, and I am going to smash my homes. It's part of the game. It's part of team building. That's the only way. If I'm the Raiders, that's the only way that I can compete for now is by having a great defense and great edge people who are going to bust Mahomes' chops because I don't have a quarterback. Why are we playing they did games? They did it. Good for them. Good. Good, right? Absolutely good for Antonio Pierce and the Raiders manhandling the Chiefs the way that they did. But you know what, Gofield? There's a reaction to that as well. When you do what Antonio Pierce did, and I am not mad at Antonio Pierce because he is head vibes coordinator as much as he is head coach of the Raiders. No team in the league loves its culture the way the Raiders love culture. And so if Antonio Pierce wants to amplify that culture by talking about, hell yeah, we got rules. Yeah, we're going to go after him. Yeah, we're going to get him. That's fine. That's fine because you know what it does? It puts the Raiders right back in the Al Davis days. It puts the Raiders right back where they've always been, where the league is watching you, and the league's going to come after you. And you know what the fans of the Raiders love more than anything else? Feeling like the outsiders. So you know what? Let Antonio Pierce play it up because in the end, are the officials really going to have some level of Patrick Mahomes watching that they weren't doing already because Antonio Pierce said something? No, of course not. They were always going to be watching out to make sure that some crap didn't happen that shouldn't happen. But Antonio Pierce getting fired, getting everybody fired up, I don't think that's wrong either. I love it. I think the Raiders should be agitators. They should be annoying. Roger Goodell, Mark Davis should be fired up about that in honor of his dad. Screw this league with the way they've treated the Raiders every year. And frankly, every opponent of the Chiefs that doesn't have a franchise quarterback, because I wouldn't do it if I were uh, Jim Harbaugh. I'd be like, I don't want to mention, let's go after the quarterbacks. But everyone who doesn't have an elite quarterback should react to Antonio Pierce saying, we have Mahomes rules, and be like, yeah, so do we. So do we. Power in numbers, Raj. Power in numbers. Let's go. Try to come down on 14 of us or whatever, 11 of us. Up yours. See, I got trolled, and now I'm yelling back-to-back days. So that's, that's good radio. That's good TV. Damon, you're just sitting there very calmly. I defend Antonio Pierce. I'm thinking now maybe he shouldn't have said the Mahomes rules. I, I actually hope it works to the point where uh, the Chiefs are like, oh, you know what, we got to spend a lot of money on offensive linemen, and we got to use like five of our draft picks on offensive linemen. Screw them. Just wait till this offseason with, with that cap jump. They're going to get somebody. Don't you worry. But I like that Antonio Pierce said this, and the data backs him up. I keep mentioning the stat. 1-0 since the Mahomes rules have been implemented. You know, the Mahomes that rules. Is, yeah. Unbeatable. They've worked so Take well. Take that, that for data. Andy Reid <laughs> had simple. to congratulate him. That's how well the Mahomes rules worked. It led them to a Super Bowl. So. <laughs> Don't laugh. You got to deliver it seriously. Don't laugh. With Antonio Pierce in this team, also, enough podcast. Let's, let's you know, pull a Dana White eventually. Uh, he's he's overexposing himself a little too much. Oh, is that right? He's got to yeah, walk off yeah, the podcast. This is this should be the mic drop now. Of hey, I'm done talking. The Mahomes rule. That's my final statement until you know training camp rolls along. Gofield, you know yes. where the rubber meets the road on this because the Raiders aren't going to have Aiden O'Connell run the show next year. The Raiders are going to have a real quarterback in some way, shape, or form in their minds, whether it's someone they draft or someone they go and sign. And the first time Chris Jones busts through that line and plants that dude in the ground, 
Let's hear what Antonio Pierce says after the game. I'm not worried. That's where the rubber will truly meet the road. The rubber won't meet the road in that example because, uh, as I instructed everyone in the NFL to do, uh, stop letting the Chiefs have their players back. And now that the cap is up, Chris Jones gets offered $27 million a year with uh, 65 guaranteed on a long-term contract. Don't let Chris Jones go back to Kansas City. I don't care what he said. Don't let him go back. Make it like a freaking $40 million gap in terms of the deal. And same deal with Legereus Need. They don't get their good players back. Keep them from the Chiefs. Come on. And I can't deal with another Patriots era where everyone freaking lets the Patriots. You know, actually, the Patriots, didn't even, they didn't pay anyone. They just let them go and got new guys. Well, Ta- Tuami was always taking low-end deals, right? Ta- Tuami didn't need the money because Giselle had all the money. But, Steve, you know what? That's fine. Let's have the other teams come and take the players, right? And then the Chiefs will go sign Bryce Huff, right? So that they can, just get, they can replace people by <laughs> taking them from the Jets. Don't worry about the Jets right now. It's not a Jets discussion. Uh, giveaway time. Las oh, Vegas okay. Co- okay. Las Vegas College Baseball Classic uh, for school tourney is coming up next weekend, March 1st through the 3rd. Oklahoma, Cal, Ohio State, Pittsburgh in town at the LV Ballpark, Las Vegas Ballpark. You can get your tickets at LasVegasCollegeBaseballClassic.com. It's LasVegasCollegeBaseballClassic.com. Four teams in town, round-robin style, next Friday through Sunday. And DeMond's got a pair of tickets right now. 364-1100, caller 7. Now back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Come on, we talked to uh, Mark McWillan a couple minutes ago, and he was noticing that we've got a lot of stuff going on event-wise. Next weekend, March 1st through the 3rd, we just gave away tickets for the uh, college baseball classic that's going down at LV Ballpark. You know, rugby's in town, so I think we're going to get someone next week to talk about rugby and This is a big deal with the rugby because the NRL is kind of doing what the NBA in this country and the NFL, Major League Baseball, where they take regular season games and put them in other countries to try to grow the market. So the uh, rugby league is going to be doing that next week. So we'll find out more about that. But that's on that March 1st through 3rd weekend at Allegiant. And then there's something cool going on. You know, I was just driving down Koval a little earlier in the day, and there's always something going on there now because you got the big facility built by F1. As I'm driving north, you look to the left, they're going to be building a track out there behind Planet Hollywood. Dana White and Travis Pastrana are part of Nitro Cross. They're going to have a big event behind uh, Planet Hollywood, and if you watch the highlights and races of Nitro Cross, it's pretty freaking ridiculous. And I got a chance to talk to Travis Pastrana, legend, in racing and exports a little earlier in the day and he's a world traveler and started off the conversation mentioning that uh he had just gotten back from saudi arabia yes saudi so actually jimmy johnson the nascar uh driver gave me a shout about two weeks ago and he said hey i I have a team that that races something called extreme e um but i'm racing the daytona 500 can you race for me i was like ah i had one weekend off but sure let's go to saudi why not it was it was actually pretty fun wait a second when I saw the IG post and you guys put together a nice piece with the phone call, I'm like, clearly that was organized months out. That That's not real that he called you on no notice and he's like, all right, let's go. I, I need you to race. You, I'm, I'm sure whoever he had going fell through. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> so uh, what were you racing there and what are you racing here in Vegas? Um, so over in Saudi, we're racing basically off-road desert trucks. 
Um, they were, you know, electric. I think they're going hydrogen next year. So, uh, it's interesting. But here, basically, we're doing nitro cross, which is under kind of Dana White. And it's not about anything except for how can we get the most horsepower, the biggest jumps, the most sideways vehicles. So while the series over in Europe was, was um, more about uh, being green, our series, although we are electric and, you know, kind of all the manufacturers, everything's going that way. We have a thousand horsepower vehicles, zero to 60 in 1.4 seconds. We have a jump where other cars will be going under and over at the same time. And these vehicles are made intentionally. So they basically don't grip the ground. So you'll be backing it in sideways, bouncing off each other. Um, everything from Can-Ams all the way up to the next cars to the Groupie, which is our top class, plus freestyle motocross, um, which basically Nitro Circus, uh, we have bands. It's, it's going to be a hell of a show. So nitrocrossracing.com is where you go. It's an event here in Vegas. Uh, I want to talk about the track in a couple of minutes because it's behind Planet Hollywood. But uh, you piqued my interest there because we're big on the UFC and we've been working around. Well, we've been here in Vegas for a long time doing the radio show. But um, how well do you know Dana White? What's your connection with him going back? You know, Dana. So when they kind of right about the time they were selling UFC, they were kind of looking for other things. And um, Dana had seen Nitro. He's seen Nitro Circus, Nitro Cross, all the kind of just pushing the, the limits there. And they were kind of looking for something that could just be fun and big that they could take over and start. And I thought I was going to go in and pitch Dana. So I, I don't, I haven't known him for more about two years ago. Okay. And I came in and he pitched me. I think man is a salesman. Like you would never believe, but he's like, I want bigger jump. So the whole world, <laughs> they're like, the jumps are too big. The cars are too fast. The, this, I mean, it's not safe enough. It's, you know, it's, it's safe-ish, kind of safety third. But, you know, it's exciting. It's entertainment. I'm, I'm racing. It's, you know, it's not like I'm throwing other people out there to do some, something that I'm not willing to do. But Dana was on board. He's like, let's make it crazier. Let's, but he, so he went to an event and he goes, dude, you don't have, there's no music in between. He goes, I went, I sat there for five hours. I had three hours of racing. He's like, you need bands. You need freestyle motocross. I'm like, yes. We don't have the budget to do it. He said, done. I'm like, mommy, uh, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Dana knows entertainment. So it's uh, it's going to be a good show. So what kind of entertainment goes on? So, well, this is the first one we've done in Vegas, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, besides the racing, I mean, you got the best drivers all across the board. Hell, we had uh, Kyle Busch jumped in for a couple rounds. We had F1 world champion jumped in, IndyCar drivers. It's It's been, it Chase Elliott jumped in. It's been really, really cool for me and the racing and the tracks and that kind of stuff. But Dana has taken our kind of everything else and just elevated it where now we've got bands, but not just kind of local bands. It's, you know, he's always working on, I, to be fair, I don't even know who's playing this one. It's a, that's kind of a, I build the track and make sure that right. the, the racing's exciting and then the, the entertainment comes in, but it's cool. Cause we got Nitro Circus. So Nitro Circus is the best athletes in the world. Freestyle motocross, um, you know, it, the party in the pits, uh, you know, just the beer tents, like that kind of stuff that I never was really thinking about because I was always, you know, having to be sober and, and driving. Um, but <laughs> it makes a huge difference just to have, you know, family environment, but also where everyone can just come. And the second they get there, there's stuff to do 24 7. It's the voice of the uh, legendary Travis Pastrana, nitrocrossracing.com here in Vegas. It's uh, Friday, March 1st into Saturday, March 2nd. It's at Planet Hollywood. I want to talk about the track in a second, but again, you piqued my interest with, and I, I've seen this before. You can just transition from style to style, car to car, and not only you do it, you just mentioned all the NASCAR guys. It's that easy, or like as you're as you're transitioning, you're like, oh, I forgot how hard this was. Are there certain 
you know, uh, venues and, and cars that you're like, crap, I'm not great at this. This is a good, you know, hard transition. So different personalities do better with different things. I come from motocross. Motocrossers, off-road, if you look at, um, you know, any any of you, you mid-400, you guys got a lot of cool stuff out there. They're not the precision drivers. F1, just how they carry themselves, they're very OCD. They're very precise. How, what they, and then off-road is the opposite. And there's everything else kind of comes in the middle. So NASCAR is kind of a, a little bit of a, a mix. But I do best at sports that you can take a risk to make a gain. If I'm doing stuff with pavement, the, the more risk you take, the more – it's like cold trickle in Days of Thunder. You burn off your tires. You, the, the car stops working halfway through the run. You start getting getting loose as fast on the edge out of control, according to Harry Hogg. And that I like being loose from step one. I like vehicles that, that have a chance of rolling over. Like I went and did the thing in Saudi. It was the only time that I could go against the best drivers in the world. Not just – like literally the best – eight-time world champion, I'm setting fast times, because these vehicles were so crappy, and I mean that with all due respect, yeah. that every time they hit a bump, you're up on two wheels, and the power steering didn't quite hold it. So you're like just gripping and ripping and, and do it. Four of the eight teams flipped. Like, oh, that's wow. how bad it was. I am known for flipping. We didn't flip. I was yeah. very proud of I'm pat myself on the back yeah. for that all one. Right. But, yeah. but, like, that's – I do stuff – if I can make – a speed increase by taking more risk than anyone else is willing to take. That's, that's my wheelhouse. So nitro cross, we're still, there's a lot of pavement on this one, but it goes from snow. The last round was snow. We'll have all pavement on some, we'll have all dirt on some. This is the one series where the drivers don't show up and kind of just, okay, let's try to win. The drivers show up and go, okay, how am I going to get around this track? How am I not going to kill myself? Right. Let's have some fun. How am I going to drift the biggest? How am I going to put on the biggest show? And how am I going to kick all the other drivers' butts? Yeah, I wonder when I was reading about your NASCAR background if you had fun doing that because you mentioned precision and, like, F1's another level. But anytime I watch NASCAR and especially documentaries on it, I'm like, this is so tech, so science. It seems, like, very buttoned up, a lot of sponsor stuff. Did you not like it? Or, I mean, clearly it's different, but did you enjoy doing it? Dude, I had more fun. Honestly, the drivers, they, they welcomed me with open arms. They all were – they're not on the track, but you know, they're trying to help out like, Hey, this is what you need to do. This is where the, you know, the testing you need to get and the, the everything, everybody was great. Um, rear, so rear wheel drive vehicles, when in doubt, throttle out, which I learned from dirt bikes and rally, which is all wheel drive, uh, doesn't work. So when that back end starts coming around the front, you got to get off the gas. And my whole life, when the back, when, when it hits the fan, yeah, yeah. I, I'm throttle, throttle out. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, so pavement and uh, rear-wheel drive, not really my specialty. I'm okay, uh, but NASCAR was uh, was not quite there. Nitrocross is in town. Uh, you can get your tickets at nit uh, nitrocrossracing.com slash Las Vegas, uh, March 1st and 2nd of Friday, Saturday at Planet Hollywood. You mentioned a couple minutes ago about uh, building the track, designing things. Like, How involved are you in that, and what are we looking at? I, I love Vegas now because any piece of property that we can develop into something else, I mean, that I think the piece of property you're on was just thousands of stands uh, like two months yep. ago for F1. And now it's like, oh, let's just put up a track. I, interestingly enough, we did the Evil Knievel, like Evil Live, they called it, um, where just re, um, recreated some of Evil's best or craziest moments uh, for the History Channel. And when we were out there in this parking lot at Planet Hollywood, I'm like, this parking lot has two levels. So it's not, it's, you know, we could jump up, we can jump down, we can have berms, and we can set up a lot of stuff that, 
it's good. The more dynamic we can make the track, so it's not just a parking lot, the more fun for the drivers, the more challenging for the vehicles and the teams, and the more exciting for the fans. Yeah, what does evil mean to you? Because obviously he's very synonymous with Vegas. You did the uh, Caesars Fountains. Uh, what does he mean to you? And does he, I don't even know if he means anything to people younger than you. I find now, because I'm in my 50s, I mentioned stuff from the 80s, uh, you know, legendary sports figures from the 70s, or, and then people are like, who, what? Like, I, and I don't want to be here like, kids these days. But uh, what does evil mean to you and the community? Well, evil proved that you could fly a dirt bike. Um, he, he was the start of action sports. He was the showman. Um, you know, he wasn't the greatest rider, but what I liked him, the thing my dad always said, said, if you say something, you're going to back it up. You know, if you say you're going to do it, you do it. He goes, Evil Knievel went over to uh, Wembley Stadium. He told the crowd, my bike's not fast enough, but I said I was going to do it. And he launched it. I'm like, how'd that work out for Evil? He's like, oh, he broke everything. <laughs> not good. But he, he's a man of his word. So that was kind of my whole life was uh, was built around Evil's philosophies. He said, you're not a failure till you fail to get back up. So for me to meet his whole family, to have all the Knievels out there, um, to be able to show my dad's generation what we did with our generation in action sports and how that kind of how evil started. And then my kids, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do evil can evil's jumps. And at the time they were probably five and six years old. And they were like, evil, who's evil can evil. And I thought I failed as a parent. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it happens. Um, but it was a cool opportunity to just show my dad's generation and my kids generation. Everyone came around the TV and it was actually the highest watched cable um show of the, the entire year which was was really cool for for me to be able to be a part of that you have a really cool project that you launched i think like six months ago uh youtube 199 i mean it is chock full of of wherever you are and then lots of different videos and just uh just you know exports in general tell people about the channel no i appreciate it. channel 199 basically i started to work with uh you know my dad was a was a marine um my wife's dad was a Marine. My, both of my, we live in Maryland. So in Annapolis, so there's a lot of military. My best friend became a SEAL. Um, luckily, or, you know, I got to live the American dream and, and got to chase my, uh, uh, exploits, if you will, on, on two and four wheels and motorized stuff. But my goal is to be able to open, we got Walter Reed right down the road, which is, uh, you know, military hospital where a lot of the veterans come. And, you know, once a year, we always did something with my dad where we brought all the, the veterans and uh, wounded warriors out to the house. And we did, um, you know, just showed them a good time. And the ones, the amputees, you know, got them on four wheelers or, or put on a freestyle demo. Black Rifle saw this and was like, dude, let's do more. So Tim Montana came out. We got bands now. They're like, my goal is to travel less, be in Saudi Arabia less, be home more. <laughs> and we started Channel 199 to be able to build all this cool stuff and bring, um, you know, bring fans, bring people. If you want to learn a backflip, come on out to the house and just have a reason to be home with our friends and to bring as many people, especially military community, in to have a good time. Yeah, your uh, your IG page is a little bit different than mine. Um, I travel for radio, and uh, like yesterday or two days ago, I was very fired up that I could put up a picture of a waffle. Uh, yes. Yeah. So you know, hey, Waffle House. That's the place. That's, that's what it was too. I'm like, we don't have them here in Vegas. I got a waffle, some hash browns. Um, so one other thing we got to mention because I think it's important is uh, you drive Subaru, right? Yes, sir. So I actually just got a Subaru. We're a Subaru family. Uh, I got it here. I got it locally at. Well, I drive a little different one than you do. Um, it's not. It doesn't have a thousand horsepower. Uh, fine car though. But I got it from Finley Subaru, and I didn't know about their uh, the program Share the Love. So I donated to Hearts Alive, which is uh, for cats locally. I was I was I thought that was really cool that you, shout, you you shouted them out. I appreciate you doing it. That you shouted out Share uh, Share the Love. Yeah, no, we've done a lot of stuff. It's 
I've been very fortunate to be with some great companies um, that, that do a lot of good stuff and give back. And um, for me, Make-A-Wish has always been a, a big thing because, you know, there's a lot of kids that, that were really into or are really into action sports. And, you know, they always wanted to jump a motorcycle in the foam pit or do something like that. So Subaru, even though it's not Subaru related, really, um, you know, they try to bring uh, some, some Make-A-Wish kids out to, we call it Pastrana Land, which is the house. And, you know, either put them in a vehicle and do some donuts like in a Subaru or put them in a Can-Am and depending on what their level is and go over some jumps or put them on a dirt bike and, you know, depending on, uh, you know, what, what level they are and that stuff. But um, it's been really cool. So thank you for uh, supporting Subaru and the, yeah, share the love. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, we're going to split up the grab bag a little bit today. We'll get to uh, some final stories and set you up for the Vegas weekend, which includes UNLV basketball. We'll throw out some picks for the Rebels against CSU in a couple of minutes. Uh, there's a game tomorrow, 5 o'clock tip, 4.30 with running Rebel warm-up. Uh, today I was over at practice, and I had a chance to talk to Kevin Kruger, so you've heard some of those bites throughout the show. But I got a chance to talk to one of my favorite guys, Keelan Boone, who's uh, always enthusiastic, always in a good mood. He's a real you know, pick-me-up guy on this roster. And, you know, I was thinking back to the first meeting against Colorado State, and he was only like six or five games into his eligibility return because he had all that nonsense with the NCAA that he had to deal with. And I don't know if they scouted him. I don't, I don't think they had a full scout on him. And, man, he came out. He had a season-high 21. He was really good in the lane, really good on the glass, really good with tip-ins. Uh, but they did lose that game, and it was Isaiah Stevens who took over down the stretch. So this part of the conversation with Keelan Boone, I mentioned that, hey, we had talked about Isaiah Stevens in Fort Collins before that game. And um, – what did he think of Isaiah Stevens? Was it about what he expected, or, or was the CSU guard even better? It was exactly what I thought, and he's a great player. He just you, he causes, uh, he comes with a lot of attention. We say that um, you just got to know where he's at. You got to understand he's trying to change the game, impact the game the best way he can, and him being a point guard, he'll always have the ball in his hands. So you just got to always be aware that, you know, hey, you may have to help over. You may have to do something outside of your part only because he uh, – he, he brings a lot of attention, but as a good player as him, he adjusts. So what can we do as players? We just find ways to adjust on the fly. And I feel like at the first time, they found a better way to adjust. So now this is our turn to adjust to him. And I think I like us this time. Their three and four positions are pretty good with Joel yes. Scott, he's a big, strong guy. And then Nick Clifford's real explosive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you want to get the ball out of Steven's hands. You probably want to trap him from time to time, but then you also – the rotation's got to exactly. be on the other guys, right? Yeah, it's good players. They're, they're a solid team. They're very solid. You're not – you can't just stop one player without having to worry about the next. But at the end of the day, we want to be able to contain Stevens to the sense of we want him to be the player to make the play instead of he getting others involved. If he's if he's making a play as early, that takes away from the other guys finding their rhythm. Or we can let Stevens do do his thing and get everybody involved. Now we have a bigger risk at our hands. So it's just you got it, you got to give something has to give, and if that means watching him get downhill and us not helping over and making him be a player and finishing, that's what it comes down to it compared to him doing their bread and butter 
and spraying kick-out threes. He averages one of the most assists in the country. Let's not allow him to be that. Make him be the player. With us. Uh, you had a big game that game. I think that was your season. I had 21, and I remember you scoring from all parts of the floor. I also remember you shooting more than a few times early in the shot. Yes. yes. Why were you doing that? Not a criticism, but uh, you, I, I felt like there were times you stymied their uh, momentum by coming down after maybe they had done something. Bang. Well, in, the, in, their, in their facility, they a hostile environment. <laughs> you love to play in those environments, and I just built off energy. I'm uh, – I like to call it gamers. Try to be a gamer in that sense. Uh, understanding that uh, you get the crowd into it and you got a great player like uh, Stevens running the show, it can only get louder and worse if you allow it to. So just wanted to put out a fire. At the end of the day, put out a fire, adjust to the game, keep it a good game. It's already entertaining. So just being able to keep playing. Like, we're basketball players at the end of the day. We don't want to be robots. And... Just find ways to impact winning. That's all I was trying to do. When you're a good offensive player, are you guys up or aware of what's going on in the foul situation on the other side? Because I'll, I'll give you a, a good example. Well, one, it would be great to get Nick yeah. Clifford or Joel Scott in foul trouble. And I think Scott did early. Yes, he did. But the Reno game, Keenan Blackshear had four fouls with about six minutes left. You also had fouls. And I felt like down the stretch, he went at you guys yeah. knowing you had fouls. And, and we didn't. Guys, didn't go at him yep. and it was that's where the awareness comes in in the sense of i remember myself telling kb and telling dj like yo blackshirt has four coleman has three this player has let's let's go at them but we didn't put the emphasis on actually doing it while they made the emphasis on actually going at me at late game I took my foot off the gas defensively, trying to be aggressive, and that's where I hurt the team at. And they they played they played that perfectly. They they came at us when we had guys in foul trouble, and they played out in our favor. And that's where the experience, the awareness comes in, and seeing how we can influence the game going down the stretch instead of just being able to change the game early. We do a great job of changing the game early. It's just finishing out the game where we can where we can ultimately win right here. We can ultimately step on the neck. And we just didn't do that in Colorado State and versus Nevada here. So just having more awareness. At the end of the day, uh, us on the no, – no, no matter if we're on the bench, no matter if we're in the game, we have to emphasize if this player is still in the game with this amount of calls, this amount of fouls, let's do emphasis on changing the game and getting them out. Because we understand what type of players who can still influence the game as a Blackshear, as a Clifford, as a Scott. So that just comes with the experience. And we have to be better on harping on that because they did their jobs on doing that to us. So we have to return a favor. There he is, Keelan Boone, super senior forward. He and his brother, twins, are on the UNLV roster. Candy, you tell me, because I think your take on this is going to be really interesting. All your takes are interesting. But you officiate. How many times in games do you see players and coaches aware of fouls to the point where they will uh, specifically attack someone? Because on, on the front end of that question, I'm like, wait, maybe I'm being elementary and almost insulting and in asking a player if they're aware of fouls. Because I watch so many games, though, where a guy has four fouls, and it's like, go at him. ISO him. Get him out of the game. There are certain coaches who I know are going to do it. There are certain coaches where I hear them calling out when a certain player comes off the bench with their third in the in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, I hear them say, hey, 
got three, right? And then the players know because the players don't tend to know on their own. And I, that's why I, I, I listened to the answer that, that, uh, that Keelan gave you there. And it makes total sense, right? Because sometimes they can be aware of it. But they have so many other things to worry about that that's why you have a big coaching staff. Anybody who watches a basketball game and you're like, why do they have six assistant coaches sitting there? Because it's someone's responsibility to watch exactly that and relay it to the head coach or relay it to the players and be like, hey, next time we get down here, we either need to ISO against that guy, we need to go into the post against that guy, whatever the case might be, smart teams do that. They go after players who are in foul trouble. Yeah, there's no doubt on the UNLV coaching staff that Kruger's got his set of duties, and a lot of it is kind of playing the the official game, make sure that his guys are getting a, a fair take. He's the overseer of everything, but... There are coaches on the bench who are worried. Well, they're specifically concentrating on matchups. There's essentially a defensive coordinator. Uh, there's there's so much yelling. And something I hadn't thought of before, and the UNLV staff mentions it all the time, each half is different because one half, the team is in front of you, right, offensively or defensively. So you can manage that part of the game. And Kruger has pointed out many times, I think he did it against Air Force, uh, I think when we, we talked at the half where he said, Hey, they did a good job defensively, but now they're going to be on their own at the other end of the court. So there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, like I said, um, the Boone Twins have been some of the most fun players I've gotten a chance to cover here in like 20 years around UNLV. Demont, how much have you been around those guys? They're They're very interesting characters because they're twins, but they can't be any different. Like Caleb's a completely different personality than his brother Keelan. Yeah, especially my only time being around them is in the uh, post-game press conferences here at the home games. But you can just tell the difference on them when you're watching them on the court. You can see the difference, especially since one has dreads, one just has a low fade, and they and they're fraternal twins. You wouldn't think that they're twins at all. You just oh, oh those guys are two teammates. Where you know, where it was a lot made where Rob said that hey, you know, those guys are trying to come together and be the leaders on the court. But it's leadership in a different role because you've got Keelan, the guy that's clapping it up like, yeah, let's go. And I think that Caleb feeds off that a little bit, but sometimes he looks a little annoyed on the court. Well, for me, Keelan's the calm guy, and he's having to calm his brother down. Caleb often gets worked up at the officials. He'll kind of clap his hands after a make or a miss and be like, I got fouled. And you'll see Keelan come over and be like, okay, all right, calm down, calm down. Don't get so worked up. Um, Let's go back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So I shouted out McMillan's Akita, Mark's Akita, earlier in the show. And I wasn't trying to make a whole point about Rescue Dog or not Rescue Dog. Actually, I was. Uh, because, Damon, I don't know if you saw this, because we have our producers all at kind of different lifestyles. And I saw a post from Chris Chapman, or as George Cole calls him on Twitter, Money Mags. Magnum is nicknamed Money Mags. I guess he did have a dog pass away recently, Candy, and they were looking for a replacement. And he put up something about, I think it was a terrier, but then he put up this dog, an Airedale. And I, Which is I just, also a terrier. All I, that's what it was, yeah. I looked at it, and I'm like, immediately, how much money do you have to have to get a dog that looks this regal, it basically had, like, you could see a well-manicured, like, Wilford Brimley mustache on the dog. I'm like, is that $2,000? Is it five? 
Is it 10? Do you get a new car uh, because you've got a downgrade to get the dog? Like, what is cooking here? You cat people really are living in a different universe, huh? We are, like, I know. Because yes. because you can you can walk behind a shopping center and be like, <laughs> yes. I'm getting two new cats today. Right? Like you don't have to go to a shelter or a breed you can imagine a cat breeder. Like, oh I'm gonna go down to the breeder and get myself yeah. three new cats today. It's gonna be one of them fancy crossbreeds too. Yeah. No, like I when I got my dog, my, my my dog is a purebred Australian shepherd and People ask me all the time, like, oh, where'd you get him? And, you know, as as a uh, as a middle class white man, I am immediately in the in the mode of how do I quickly work into the conversation that this is a rescue dog? Right. Because I do not need the cascade of judgment that is going to come down on me (laughs) for buying a dog. Right. And and this this dog that I have would probably cost three or four thousand dollars pure brown. Right, yeah. like, like if you walked into, yes, you walked into, yes. uh, yep, it, it, that'd be a three or four thousand dollar dog. Now I got him from uh, a rescue uh, called Those Left Behind Foundation, uh, based in Las Vegas. They uh, they work with a lot of veterans in terms of uh, helping some of them do the fostering for helping these dogs get back to health. Now I gave the rescue a donation of I believe four hundred dollars uh, for for the dog, right. Um, and so, you know, uh, I mean, he's managed to eat me out of house and home, uh, yes. you know, ever since. Like yes. when I tell you that the dog's anxiety mechanism is chewing and that I have replaced no less than a dozen pillowcases because what this weirdo likes is to jump up on the bed when I'm not looking yeah. and like where I've been slobbering all night. He wants like he wants that good slobber spot right there where he's like, I need a piece of that. I need to where you've slobbered. I need to live. And and he chews a giant hole in the pillowcase and I got to replace all of them. So I, maybe I get off easy like Mark. Mark McMillan's Akita took him straight off the air today. Yes. Like maybe I maybe I get off easy. Yes. Candy, great job. There was so much to jump off from that conversation for next week. So a lot more dog talk and cat talk next week. Damon, really good job this week. And thank you to uh, Treasure Island for housing the show like they do every Friday here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar.